Welcome to Cleveland Clinic Cardiac Consult, brought to you by the Seidel and Arnold Miller Family Heart, Vascular, and Thoracic Institute at Cleveland Clinic. Hello, and welcome to the podcast where we talk about all things related to lead management. I'm Tom Callahan, and I'm joined by Dr. Bruce Wilkoff and Dr. Debbie Kwan, the Director of Cardiac MRI at Cleveland Clinic and really one of the leaders in cardiac MRI. Welcome to both of you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be part of this. We're really glad to have you here, uh, Debbie. Uh, you've done so much with uh, MRIs here, and it's been so much fun collaborating. With, and we thought we should tell a little bit of that story. Yeah, sure. So I think my area of um, cardiac MRI just really started as a passion when I was in uh, as a fellow here at the Cleveland Clinic. And I remember seeing my very first cardiac MRI and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I can't believe you can see the heart with this much detail and particularly scar. I was just so fascinated that you could see it so pristinely. And um, my research actually started off in hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And I was giving my, my talk on, on that in a research conference. And I remember um, Pat Chu raised his hand and said, oh, that's really interesting. Have you ever thought about, or does anybody know what kind of impact um, cardiac MRI can have in terms of predicting VT in patients with SCAR? And I was like, oh my gosh, that's an amazing question. And that kind of just launched my whole area of research that I am now currently doing today. And obviously a lot of people who have SCAR and potential VT also have devices. So that's also been an area that has been a real challenge for us and something that's very exciting too because there's been a lot of movement recently in terms of image optimization and techniques to really help um, improve the image quality, which I think is really important because these patients are the most at risk and the most vulnerable. So it's really um, our need to really address this uh, population. Well, a, a quick um nod to Pat Chu, who we lost such a, a brilliant mind. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned how he, he touched your, your career and he's touched really so many uh, of us through his, his brilliant career. So a nod to him. Moving on, though, with, with the cardiac MRI, you know, I, you and I actually did fellowship. We kind of followed each other through through training and, and did um, our training around similar time. And so in some ways, you know, I've been uh, maybe your nemesis throughout training, right? So putting in these devices, which for a long time uh, would cause problems, right, with cardiac MRI. And and, and so that's a, a little bit of a backstory too, right? The, the whole story of how we got to a place where we could actually comfortably get MRIs for the, uh, patients with uh, implantable devices. Yes, yes. That's also evolved quite a bit here at the Cleveland Clinic. Um, we used to have uh, such a barrier to patients with devices where in the cardiac MRI area, we would not touch patients with a 10-foot pole <laughs> if they had a device, regardless if it was conditional or non-conditional. There was just a real fear. Uh, we, we really have to thank um, Bruce Wilkoff for really pioneering that. Um, that His work is really the only reason why we even started to have any openness to doing them here. And now we're doing one or two a day. It's really become routine practice. And so, yeah, there's been a lot of things that we've learned along the way. And one simple thing, I remember talking to Roy Chung uh, because he was sending, he sent us a patient um, and we scanned them was safe, but there was so much artifact. The device was like right on top. The heart was right underneath it. Um, and I had asked him, was there any way that you could 
tried to put the device higher up uh, on the shoulder. He's like, oh, we always do that. But, you know, over time, the, the device just kind of sags. So um, what we started to do uh, routinely now, which has made a big difference, I mean, it's something very practical, uh, it's nothing fancy, but just to lift the arm up um, and put the arm over the, their head when they go into the scanner. Um, and that's actually allowed us to use our typical sequences and a subset of patients where it just really lifts it up like two or three inches uh, um, superior to where the cardiac borders are. So that's made a big difference um, for us. Unfortunately, patients who are older have arthritis um, in their shoulders. And so sometimes they just physically can't lift their arm above their head for 30 minutes. So that's, there's still challenges we have from that aspect, but the very, very practical things that don't really take high tech um, interventions can also be done. That's a great so, tip. So Debbie, you were talking about one or two a day, but you're talking about cardiac MRIs one or two a day. Yes. But that's beyond all of the head stuff. We yeah. started off with head MRIs and shoulder MRIs and hip MRIs and knee yeah. MRIs right. uh, and such like that. But this is just cardiac MRIs. So we've we've really shifted our, our focus uh, tremendously that way. Yeah, yeah. We actually have a dedicated slot, one dedicated slot a day for devices because we know that there is this need. So we have a slotted uh, schedule so that we know that a nurse will definitely be available um, for that uh, particular time. Now, sometimes there's urgent cases that need to be added on in addition to that. Um, and so sometimes we are able to accommodate that, but that just shows how much things have uh, evolved and that we have a dedicated slot schedule now just for a patient with a device. That's fantastic. Debbie, you know, along the same lines, you talk about tricks that you can can use to try and get better images. Is there something that that you see with some frequency that you say, I wish they hadn't done that, or I wish they would do it some, you know, some way differently, you know, from a device, either a lead or, or implant, you know, tactic. Um, so maybe, you know, making sure the device is a little bit higher, anything else like types of leads or lead position? That's a really good question. I think the biggest issue with the artifacts is just is the generator. It's not really the leads. Um, the leads cause a little bit of artifact, but it's very, because they're so thin, um, <clears throat> the amount of uh, artifact that it results in is very, it's very local, whereas the generator causes this big susceptibility artifact that spans, could be a, a several centimeters beyond the, the uh, generator itself. So I think just putting it up as high as possible um, <clears throat> and ways to anchor it there so it doesn't sag over time, because obviously it can be in a perfect place when the patient's laying flat, but then we spend most of our time upright and so right. gravity let down. So uh, I, I don't know if there's mechanical ways to, to allow it to stay in, in place. Um, but we actually right now have um, been looking into uh, building a database of cardiac uh, MRI patients who had devices so that we can specifically look at that. Are there certain models or configurations that result in more artifact than others? Because we recognize um, now that we have uh, Dr. Pasquale Santangeli here doing a VT ablation, we're going to get a lot more of these patients and it's really vital for us to understand how we can better optimize these images. Um, and so one of the things we want to know is predictors, because then what can we do then to address those specific predictors? 
Sure. But we've done a lot, um, actually. Um, I'd say that before 2018, 2019, probably our image quality would be as bad as 40 to 50% likelihood of having um, adequate image quality. But we've done a lot of work to really try to optimize our sequences so that we can improve that number. And so some of the, like for cine imaging, um, we typically use a, um, a sequence called SSFP, and that causes, uh, is very sensitive to these susceptibility artifacts. So we've switched to something called gradient echo, and that's made a big difference. Um, and then recently, since Chris and Wen came, our biomedical engineer, he's also made a, an amazing impact on this. And um, we've also um, really addressed the bandwidth um, for these sequences, and that's also made a big difference. And then in terms of scar imaging, uh, we incorporated something called wideband. Um, and that's also helped to specifically address the artifact that we see on the scar images, the late gadolinium enhancement images. And so the incorporation of that plus arm raising, I think what our, our image quality can be you know, as good as if they didn't have a device. But obviously, if we can't raise their arm, I'd say it's probably up to 80% likely that we can get a good uh, image quality. So what we typically do is, um, or I've told my, uh, my the fellows in the MRI techs is to look at the chest x-ray. And if they can't lift their arm, the chest x-ray and how close the device is to the heart border will give us a good understanding of um, the likeliness of our being able to get good quality images. However, if they can raise their arm, then obviously that, that um, is a different ballgame. That's going to be much more likely that we can get good images. So Debbie, a lot of the time the skin is kind of lax. Do you tape it up? Yeah, so that's what we're trying to uh, develop uh, now that Chris is here um, to use his engineering skills to see if there's some kind of, can we use tape or can we use something else to kind of move the device up? The issue with the tape is that a lot of the times the device is not so prominently bulging from the skin. So sometimes there's not anything that we can actually anchor with tape to pull it up. Um, if it's like underneath the muscle or something like that, it's hard for us to really have something to grab onto. When we first started doing MRIs, um, you're right. I, there was a lot of, I would say, fear uh, and, and uh, risk avoidance. And it was hard to even start a conversation. This goes all the way back to the 90s. But um, it's become more comfortable. Still, there's a problem of barrier to uh, not, not every site is doing MRIs. Uh, with patients with pacemaker because it just takes more effort. I mean, uh, this is a big investment that that you all you all make. These types of optimizations that you're talking about, how well uh, established is that this in the MRI community outside of the Cleveland Clinic? I mean, there are some sites, but how well established is this in the MRI community at this point? That's a really good question. I think that there's a lot of variability, and it all depends on how often they're getting their referrals. Because if they have a big EP referral, then they um, then it's worth that investment, um, as opposed to just sporadically uh, happening. So I've kind of noticed that the, page, the places that um, are doing this really well are the places that have a big EP presence and a real interest for getting cardiac MRI on their patients. Um, but I'd say it's pretty variable. The, the one thing though, is that once you have an optimized um, protocol, it's pretty standard. I mean, 
obviously there's going to be patients that are more difficult and you have to have really um, dedicated on-site expertise to be able to nav navigate that and troubleshoot it on the fly. But in terms of having a ready-made packaged protocol, um, it's not that hard. Um, you just have to have the right people to know to ask or to um, to uh, ask, you know, uh, get consultation with. And then once that's established on the scanner, it's usually just run it and and go. And you, there's usually a pretty good um, uh, result from that. Is it published? Uh, have have uh, is there a resource that you you point people to that talks about this? There are there are some um, articles out there. I think the issue is that sometimes it's scanner dependent. Where you find those parameters on the scanner can sometimes be difficult. <clears throat> so even though you know what kind of sequence you want, sometimes you might not know how to adjust those parameters on the user interface because okay. it in um, in there. And sometimes you need to have the support people come in and change those parameters uh, for you. Um, uh, depending on the site. There's some people who are just very savvy with it and know how to to, to find those parameters. So um, that's why it, it's very helpful if they have an on-site MR physicist or a vendor uh, scientist that can help them with that. Um, but again, once, once those parameters are set, then usually they don't change. That's great. Debbie, how about some of the newer device technologies like leadless pacemakers, subcutaneous ICDs? Do they present any unique challenges? Yeah, the, so I think the subcutaneous ICDs some are, are often more challenging because they're bigger um, and they're usually closer to the heart. <clears throat> so those are harder. Actually, they cause a lot more artifact. Um, but sometimes if their chest wall is far enough, far enough away from the heart border, we can see it well, but yeah, sub-Q ICDs uh, unfortunately cause a lot more artifact than the, uh, the typical ICDs. The leadless, you know, they're small, so um, they cause the local artifact. I think the issue is that, um, you know, if that area where it's placed is the area where there's question of scarring, and that local area we won't be able to see much. Sure. I mean, one challenge that seems to come up with some frequency is, you know, a relatively young patient who has some AV conduction disease, gets a pacemaker, and then maybe a few months down the road or, or even longer, there's some question about, well, is this sarcoid? There's something else that's happening that makes us worry about sarcoid. And, and often part of that workup is a cardiac MRI looking for, you know, patterns that suggest sarcoid. So it... it you know, in my practice, I, I try and think about that. I try and have a, a low threshold to think about sarcoid and try and, and test for it. How uh, how challenging is that for you when you, you have a patient coming to the scanner already has a pacemaker with a question of, you know, is this cardiac sarcoid and, and any other, you know, ideas or thoughts you have around that issue? Yeah, so actually pacemakers don't cause that much artifact. The generators, um, I guess it's the coiling inside of there is a lot different than ICD. So the, the local artifact that pacemakers cause is much less than ICDs and CRTs are the worst, um, obviously. So um, uh, I think for pacemakers, it doesn't usually cause that big of a um, issue in terms of the susceptibility artifact. Now, if the patient is having a lot of PVCs or irregular, uh, unpredictably irregular heart rates, 
that causes a different kind of challenge that's not related to the pacemaker necessarily. It, it just is that if they're regularly paced throughout the, the um, exam, that's easier for us because then we can gate better. But when the pacemaker's turned off, or sometimes we've noticed that when the um, device parameters are changed, then they start having a lot more PVCs or there's other arrhythmias that occur. Um, and that becomes uh, a challenge for uh, the CINE imaging and gating and whatnot. So um, that's not necessarily the pacemaker itself. But what I would um, suggest for a lot of these patients is to, to consider getting an MRI right before you put the device in, <laughs> because at least that's going to be like your best shot to get the best kind of imaging. Um, and it's also going to be a good potential baseline for if something evolves over time that you can then compare to. Yeah, I was wondering, um, um, at one point, matter of fact, currently, the, the indications were in order to uh, to get an MRI, you had to have an MRI conditional device. So it was an indication for lead extraction to, to allow people to have, having abandoned leads still is somewhat of an, impa an impediment. Um, I'm just, I'm what, you said that leads were not really a problem, but what happens if you have four, five, six leads inside? Uh, does the the volume of, of leads make a difference on, on the quality of the information that you're getting? That's a really good question. I personally haven't seen patients come through with, you know, because well, that's one of the contraindications is abandoned leads. Um, we really push back a lot on that, but I, I would, Theoretically, it should cause, I mean, it should be probably additive. Um, so if you have a bunch running together at the same time, the, the local artifact around that tunnel of uh, a bunch of leads running together is probably going to be more than if there's just one. Um, mm -hmm. But as long as it's, you know, those leads usually go through the tricuspid valve and then insert into the RV. So um, as long as it's far away enough from the myocardium itself, if the artifact is mostly in the blood pool, then it, you know, it doesn't really impact things too much. Okay, yes. Well, we have been a little bit on the conservative side. We've been moving more and more as we've developed comfort with this, but we still have held to the capped, broken, and epicardial leads as being a contraindication. Although, when the indication gets strong enough, which is which is great working with you as a cardiologist as well as yeah. a radiology uh, expert, um, cardiologists tend to have an understanding of risk benefit right. um, and we've been able to work together uh, right. and as a general thing uh, the risk benefit doesn't really play play a role there as much um, so we have tried to go there but we're still lagging back on that little that one point mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think as we get more data and experience to I mean that's kind of how all of this evolved is after we had done several, then we look back and say, oh, there was never an event. It probably is going to be okay. Right. And and again, with that risk benefit in, in mind, clear that the benefit has been far greater. Yes. And and, and we've had no serious events ever. Uh, right. with, so that's important. Right, right. Well, Debbie, um, you've you've had such an impact here and and in the you know MRI community at large, and and really helping advance the field and um, and and sort of push what we can do, especially with you know patients with cardiac implantable devices. So, thanks for all the the hard work you do, and and 
thank you so much for for spending time with us. Oh yeah, thank you so much. It's been so much fun and I always like challenges. So thank you for always sending us challenging cases. <laughs> Pushes us to to be more to really know our craft and uh, and learn more. So Excellent. Well, until next time. Thanks again. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. We welcome your comments and feedback. Please contact us at heart@ccf.org. Like what you heard? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or listen at clevelandclinic.org slash cardiac consult podcast.